We are now just five weeks into this sermon series where we've been asking this question of what it is to live my life by faith. In other words, uh, what does it look like to trust in God's promises even when you can't see the road ahead? And to do this, uh, we've been looking at the lives of these people just like you and I, um, who made this intentional decision to walk with God. This morning, we're gonna turn though, we're gonna turn to the story of Abraham and Sarah. And to date, as you look through all the people in Hebrews 11 who, who follow the Lord, um, their, their faith is exemplary. And yet this morning, we're gonna turn to this couple and we're gonna find a little bit more of a struggle. But before we do that, um, let me just ask you a personal question to get you thinking. Um, you can kind of keep this between you and the Lord. Um, just this week, where did you find it difficult to trust in God in all things. Just do a heart scan with me. Be, be super honest with yourself. Where have you struggled in faith since we last met? For a lesson today, I wanna talk with you about what faith looks like when life gets messy. What, what is faith when, when we don't have all the answers and when, when we're waiting and we're having to put our trust in the one who does have all the answers? And here's my plan. Here's how I wanna do this. I wanna spend just the first time, a part of our time this morning, we're gonna unpack this story together. Um, and then I've shortened up my sermon. Um, I wanna get out of the way and, and I want Scott Musser. Uh, Scott is with us, Scott and Carol Musser from Life International Ministries and uh, from Spain. And I've asked Scott to help it come alive to talk with us about what living faith looks like, uh, particularly as a missionary overseas. So um, for now though, let's turn to Hebrews 11, if you would with me as we have been. Hebrews 11, we're gonna read uh, verse one, and then we'll read verses 11 through 12 together. Let's hear now the word of the Lord. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, it is the conviction of things not seen. <clears throat> Verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God. Don't doubt in the dark what God has promised you in the light. Don't doubt in the dark what God has promised you in the light. Back in college, um, our small group went to this night corn maze. And I hate corn mazes. It gets my allergies all riled up. Not only that, but I, I'm, I'm typically the one to get lost, the first one in the maze. But on this particular night, um, I was all in, and here's why, right? Um, this night was the first night that I noticed my wife, Jen. And I knew that if I wanted the girl, I had to go through the maze. This wasn't just any ordinary corn maze, though. This was like this challenge course of a corn maze. I, I remember in one spot, there was this false floor. It was covered by corn sheaths. And as you were walking towards it, um, you fell into this pit of foam. And all of a sudden, this whole group of people is just crawling on top of each other trying to get out. 
And then there's another section where the, the course sort of split into four different paths in the cornfield and somehow they all intertwined and got confused. And before you knew it, you were actually heading back out towards the entrance again. You had to climb up this wall to see where it was that you needed to go. But the most bewildering part of this maze was the last 200 yards where this bright strobe light hit you in the face and suddenly you were blind. You look up, all you could see was darkness ahead of you. You looked ahead and there was black spots covering your eyes. And I remember feeling super apprehensive, like everything inside of me wanted to turn around because in those 30 seconds, I had no idea what was coming next. You know what I found most challenging when it comes to this concept of our faith? It is that you and I, we have this tendency to doubt in the dark what God has already promised us in the light. Look again with me at verse 11. By faith, we're told, Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past the age. Now that's a faith statement right there, right? It is by faith, we're told, a child is born. That's some kind of power. But if you, want to, if you know the story of, of Abraham and Sarah at all, you actually know when you read that, um, you're just reading the happy ending. You know, it's a bit more complicated than that. In fact, as I said, when it comes to examples of faith, if you were to say to me, well, who should I follow? Whose faith might I get behind? I'm not sure Abraham and Sarah is quite the typecast we should get behind. At first, it's a bit confusing in this passage as to whose faith we're actually talking about. If you read the Greek or you, you study the context of this scripture, um, it's actually murky among scholars. I know in the, the English it says it's Sarah's faith, and, but in the original language and in its context, you could actually argue this was referring to Abraham. In fact, most scholars would say it was. And I could get nerdy and give you all the reasons why, but, but really no matter how you read this, here's what I want us to see this morning. Abraham and Sarah's faith journey was the most fickle, fragile, messiest faith I can think of. And yet, we're left with this conclusion in Hebrews that tells us that it was by that faith that God gives us a child. How is it? Brian shared with us last week back in Genesis 12, and you can turn there if you want. We're gonna kind of walk through this story together. Abram is called by God to go to this unknown land, right? To leave everything he knew to a land that God had promised to him. And we found out that in his pure act of obedience, Abram does exactly that. He puts his trust in God's word and he heads for this unknown land, just as God had said. But before he left, what I want you to know this morning is God gave him a second promise. God had told Abram, you're gonna have a son, and not just a son, we would infer that. He, he actually told him, um, you're gonna have an entire people who will fill this promised land with you. And this is a sweet deal, right? Because essentially, Abram's told by God, you will be blessed and famous. Those who curse you, I will curse you. Go with my protection. I'm gonna show you a new land. You will be the father of many nations. So Abraham sets out, 75 years old, if you can believe it, heads to this land of Canaan, and when he gets there, he's told by God, here it is. Literally, that's what the scripture says. Here it is. Here's what you've been waiting for. Abram looks around 
And things are far from perfect, as Brian mentioned last week. The, the land is already settled with other people groups. Trying to figure out what that promise means. But if I'm Abram and Sarah at this, it's, at this point, I'm thinking close enough. I mean, we're home. Let, let's build an altar. Let's pitch a tent and let's just get to part two, right? Let's start a family. Here comes the sun. Da-na-na-na. No, but just about the time they settle in and, and things start to get real, all the plans of Abram and Sarah come crashing down. Remember what happens next? A famine hits the land so hard, they have no choice but to leave in the run. Look at this in Genesis 12:10. So there's a famine in the land. Abram went to Egypt to sojourn there. So much for God's promise. Now, Abram, he must have thought quite highly of his wife. He knew she was a beautiful woman. And he's terrified for his life, right? Because he's now in a foreign land as a foreigner surrounded by powerful foreign people. And he realizes if he's not careful, Pharaoh is going to fall for my woman. He's going to want me dead. So what does Abram do? He turns to the Lord in faith, right? And gets on his knees and says, God, you made this promise to me. And, and so uh, I'm going to trust in you and we're going to do this. To no, no, no. What does he do? He comes up with this brilliant plan. Man, this is, this is how we do too. This is a brilliant plan. He goes, I'm going to do it my way. And he says to Sarah, let's tell him you're my sister. Think about that. Of all the plans that Abram can come up with, that's the one he wants Sarah to play into. Let's tell him you're my sister. That'll save me. As faithful as these two were, doubt plagued them. And in the darkness, they forgot so quickly and entirely what God had promised them in the light. Again, let me ask you, where do you find it hard to trust God? Is it not so simple and easy in those moments in the promised land where God says, here it is, to put your faith in the one who gave you the promise and you see it coming to fruition? And yet, do we not come up with our own, our own plans and our own ways when we suddenly think, well, maybe, maybe God's not gonna see this through? You know, despite such a horrid idea, God intervenes because God's promise didn't go away just because Abram's faith was fickle. Pharaoh had taken Sarah. God sends plagues to Egypt. Pharaoh realizes this man and this wife are under divine protection and he repents of his mistake and kicks the two out of the land. So they travel back to the place where Abram had first set his tent. We're told Abram and Lot parted ways, divided up the land. Abram calls on the name of the Lord again, a moment of faith. Look at this in chapter 13, verse 14. Look how God reminds him. He says, lift up your eyes, Abram, to the place where you are, north, south, east, and west. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Now at this point, if Abram's tuned in, right, he's thinking, now here comes my son. I walked through the mud, got through the famine, and Abram right here in this act of faith, he builds yet another altar to God, worships him on the spot. And just about the time things are looking up, yet another storm brews on the horizon. And this time things are bad. War breaks out. 
Abram's nephew Lot gets captured by this enemy. Abram has to go and save him. Battle ensues and God's promise is put on hold again. You know how it works, right? How, how does a soldier have a child with his wife when he's off fighting a war? So Abram fights the war. He comes back home. He's successful in battle. Trusts in the Lord. But now he's pushing 80. Look at this in verse 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram again. Fear not, Abram, for I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. And at this point, if you're Abram, you're thinking, yes, I know that. You said it over and over again. In fact, this is how Abram responded. He said, Lord, what will you give me? I continue childless. Where is the promise, God? What are you doing? Where is the answer to my plea? Abram's been waiting a long time. I mean, we're impatient if we don't get the latte in five minutes. This guy's been waiting his entire life. This time, God meets him where, he at, where he's at, and he puts this promise into something Abram can see. He seals his word with this, this visual covenant. You turn to chapter 15, and you'll find God appears in something called a theophany. He appears in this, this smoking fire pot and this flaming torch that passes between the pieces of a sacrificed animal. Now, to us, that probably sounds kind of strange. But in, in the Near Eastern, uh, in the ancient Near East, when, when you made a promise with someone, you would cut an animal in two and you would both walk through the pieces. And when you walk through the pieces of this animal, it was as if you said, what's done to this animal, if I don't keep my promise, shall be done to me. Notice, God's the one who walks to the sacrifice, not Abram, he's asleep. And essentially, this is God saying, I'm serious, Abram, you can trust me in this. This is my promise. You'll be the father of many nations. And yet there is still no child. You know, to be fair, biologically, time's running out, right? So again, what, what do Abram and Sarah do? They trust in the Lord by faith. No, no, no. Rinse and repeat. Abram and Sarah come up with plan B. And they decide if God's not gonna move, we're gonna do it our own way. And the way they decide this time is they'll use their house servant, Hagar, instead. So Abram and, and Hagar have a son. His name is Ishmael. I, I appreciate, you know, typically I don't hear the kids in worship, but I appreciate, that actually works really well with the kid crying in the middle of the story, right, as I'm talking about the child. Ishmael is, is born and things get bad. I mean, really bad. Jealousy enters the picture. All out fights ensue within the family. By 86 years old, Abraham's life is a complete wreck. And if you know your world history at all, you know this carried consequences worldwide. There is a people group who claim Ishmael as the rightful heir. And there is a people group who claim Isaac as the rightful heir. And none shall the two pass. It's a cautionary tale, right? When, when we neglect to remember God's faithfulness, that's when we stumble. So by chapter 17, Abram is 99 years old. He's literally on his face before the Lord. He's looking back over his life and he's, he's realizing what he's put his family do, through. And what does God do? God renews the promise again. He tells Abram, he says, I've made you a father of many nations. Now again, put yourself in his shoes for a minute. What do you mean you've made me a father of many nations? There's no child. 
So God gives Abram the sign of the covenant, his circumcision. He changes his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And now you know things are serious, right? Now the child's gonna be born. Except it's too late. That's what Abraham and Sarah said. They, they both literally laughed in God's face, laughed at him. My life is over. I love how Sarah said it. She said, I'm wore out. You want me to rock a baby? Hebrews eleven twelve, By one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven. So Abraham and Sarah named this child Isaac. Do you remember what Isaac means? He laughs. Don't doubt in the dark what God has promised you in the light. See, as you put these stories together, Hebrews 11 and Genesis 12 all the way through 20, you have to ask the question, how is it that such a fragile faith still counts? I mean, just the fact that Abram and Sarah at 90 years old are still trying to have a child, like you could, that's pretty faithful. But it's far from exemplary. Just think with me again. Think about the measure of your faith. Scale of one to 10 in your head. What is the measure? Where would you put yourself? One being Jesus, 10 being a total wretch. Where would you put your faith? How's, how's your weight life these days? Here's the thought. Maybe what, maybe what Abram and Sarah show us is that it's not the measure of your faith that matters, but what matters is the person of your faith. Timothy Keller said it much better than I. He said, it's not the size of your faith, but the object of your faith that matters. See, we believe in a God who keeps his promises. No matter the darkness or the unanswered prayers, the trials or the tribulations or the, the hesitations, what God has promised us by faith, he will see the promise through. That's God's word to us this morning, right? But if that's the word, then I think it's important that we really briefly revisit what are those promises? Because let me tell you, I've heard this too many times. If somebody uses this passage and tells you like Sarah and Abram, if you just pray hard enough, you too can have a child, that's not the lesson here. In fact, that would be abuse of this lesson. No, the lesson is what God says he will do, he will see it through. So what is the promise that God has made to us? The promises. We could probably do an entire sermon series on that. Maybe we will in the spring. But for now, let me just give you a couple to chew on, right? How about this? How about for starters, like Abram and Sarah, we too have been promised a son. But unlike Abraham and Sarah who had to wait for it to come to fruition, we already know Jesus has come, died and rose again. We've been told by God's word, if you put faith in that son, he will never leave or forsake us. That's a promise you've been given. He will be with you always. In him, all things work together for the good. Nothing can separate us from God's love. He has promised us one day is coming where he will bring us home. So here's my invitation. This week, next time you find yourself struggling with doubt and waiting on God, wrestling with trust, 
Take some time to return to what God has promised you in the light. Philippians 1.6, it tells us the one who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. Now that I've given you a little exposition of God's word, I want to invite Scott to come up and just pray for us. And uh, I'm super excited because I already got a preview of this at the Legacy site, but I want you to see what this looks like. Um, so let me pray for you, Scott, and then let's keep going. God, we, we thank you for your word come alive. And um, I, just, I just pray for my brother Scott as he gives witness and testimony. And, um, Lord, that you would just inspire us, encourage us uh, to, to be spurred on by faith in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Well, good morning, church. Uh, whoever put the insert in the bulletin, you've said more about me than I need to say. So thank you for that introduction. My wife and I are just delightful to be, delighted to be here today just to give testimony, really, of what God has been doing in the work in Spain through the ministry that he's called us to, working in Christian education. Uh, it's a nostalgic milestone for us because we've been there now 25 years. I just had my 60th birthday recently. So it's, it's, it's a natural time to pause and reflect. And as I look back, I really find many things to give God thanks for, ways that he's used us in ministry. And I also look forward with tremendous hope because that faith in what God has promised, he will fulfill it. He will complete it. And he's given us a neat vision for what God is, uh, I believe what he has in Spain for a generation of Spanish youth. Our call to go was founded in Psalm 105 verses one through four. But the first verse is just give thanks to the Lord, call on his name and make known among the nations what he has done. And he put Spain on our hearts. And I said, well, Lord, what have you done for me? What have you done for us? What is this message of the gospel that you want us to share with this nation of Spain? It's the message of forgiveness. It's the message of grace and the goodness of God of which most Spaniards today, if you were to ask them, what is that message that needs to be shared with the nations? They wouldn't be able to articulate it. They wouldn't be able to communicate that. So we give thanks to the Lord. And why are we in Spain? People ask us that. Why did you go to Spain? You've got a lot, a big family here. Um, and so our family is now, we, we started off with six of us going to Spain in 1998. And now we have 10 grandkids and another one on the way. So people sometimes say, how can you stay in Spain when you have grandchildren in America? And that's hard for them to grasp. Sometimes it's hard for my wife to grasp too, and me too. Uh, and we say, well, Lord, you're providing for our family and we give you thanks. That's a blessing. And we're in Spain because basically Spain needs Jesus. There are people that, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an old land with a long history. Spain is even referenced twice in the Bible by name. And uh, they estimate that today that about 1% of the Spanish population would have a new rebirth experience of faith. That they are truly walking disciples of Jesus. So we're in Spain because of that. And we work in a city called Tres Cantos. Tres Cantos is a northern suburb of Madrid, and it's a, it's a, it's a city that values English. Uh, they value education. It's a younger population. Some of the world headquarters of different businesses are located there. And it's in this town that we found a woman that had been praying for 10 years for God to start a Christian school in Madrid in that town. So we are there and we are working in a ministry called Life International School. Uh, the name Life is our four core values, love, integrity, faith, and excellence. And we were brainstorming and those words came to the surface. We were trying to think, could we make a word out of this? And someone said, how about file school? 
We said, oh, we can do better than file. We're going to go with life. So we went to Life International School, and it's a school targeting Spanish children using English. English is our, our daily language of instruction because Spaniards are so eager to learn English. That's a door that God has opened that I'll testify about in just a moment. Um, we also have um, at Life International School, one of the things that sets us apart is that we're a school that is Christ-centered. We use that term intentionally in Spain because in traditionally Roman Catholic Spain, Christian can mean lots of things. Uh, there are many parochial schools that they might call a Christian school, but they teach the same state-mandated curriculum that all public and chartered schools teach. So we want to be Christ-centered. What does that look like? Because in Spain, the idea of integrating faith with life are two separate spheres. They don't go together. And what we're saying in a Christ-centered school is that they should overlap. They should be one and the same. So we want our students and children and our families to know that who we are as Christians comes out in how we do education. Um, so we're Christ-centered. In Spain, no one tells children about what God says. The scriptures say that we are his handiwork, that the earth is the Lord, that's all that's in it, that he's the creator and sustainer of all things. That's a message that we introduce every day in our educational model. Life is also rigorous. It's a school, of course. You want rigor in your education. Uh, we're accredited and we're recognized by the Spanish Ministry of Education to give both an American diploma and a Spanish diploma upon completion of our school. We, we started with one student and now we have 75 in grades preschool, three years old through ninth grade. And every year we're adding another grade until we get to a full uh, complete school up through grade 12. And the opportunity of education is what took us down this path. I've been in education. My grandparents were educators in a one-room schoolhouse. My parents were educators. I'm an educator. My son is a teacher. Sons are both teachers. My daughter started a Christian school in West Virginia a couple of years ago. So it kind of runs in our family. And this idea of if you calculate the time that someone spends in education from preschool all the way through high school, you've got 18,375 hours invested into their thinking. Think about that a minute. That is a lot of time poured into us. So what is that going to look like? And in Spain, if you use those 18,000 plus hours and never mention God, what you're communicating is that you can get along in life just fine without God. And that may be true for this life, but it's not true for the life hereafter. And we're there promoting that there is life beyond life on earth and we need to do diligence in helping train our children to understand that message as well. I want to introduce you to Oscar. He's my friend. If you've wondered what a true Spaniard looks like, this is a true Spaniard. A PE teacher, humble man of humble means, a believer. He couldn't find work in Spain during the crisis, so he went to Bolivia. He taught there on a scholarship until his money ran out. And then he got a job teaching PE at a local international Christ-centered school, just like life. He learned English. But more importantly, he learned the value of a Christ-centered education. He didn't even know you could have a school that included Christ in the educational model. He said, God had to take me out of my country to show me something that I didn't know existed. And now he's brought me back to Spain with a heart to see Christian education for his own people. He's now one of our board members. And just imagine his surprise when 10 months ago... He accompanied me to the European Parliament in Brussels, where there was a day of meetings and we had been invited to come and listen to laws that were forthcoming that would affect 
Spain, and the other 26 countries of the European Union. And Oscar's circuits were just blown. <laughs> he's like a PE teacher, and now he's sitting in the European Parliament learning about Christian education for Europe. That was really a wow moment for all of us. So I want to testify of three brief things very quickly. One, we testify that God has opened the door for us in Spain. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthians, said, a wide open door for effective ministry has opened to me in Ephesus. So he was staying in Ephesus. And we see that God has opened this door for us, this, this avenue of education. I'm not a church planter. We've seen a couple churches planted. We've been involved in that. But I'm an educator. And we're using education. We have constitutional religious freedom in Spain to teach the Christian worldview in our international school. And as long as we teach Spanish language and culture every day, the Spanish inspector says, we don't care what else you teach. If you want to teach about God, you teach about God. So we say, amen, we will teach about God. And there's a high demand for English. We're here to testify that God has given us favor with the local Spanish authorities. The man in the red tie is our mayor of our town. His name is Jesus, Jesus. And he's been to visit our school no less than a half a dozen times in the last few years. He loves coming and seeing a school that's completely different from anything he's ever known. Um, and the third thing I want to testify is that we are seeing lives transformed. That's why we're in Spain. Spaniards need Jesus. I'm not there just about starting schools. I want to see what we do in those schools have an impact on the lives of Spaniards. So we've had children getting saved in the recent years. We just heard um, of another parent that got saved. Now they're attending a local church. One of the moms testified. She said, our kids in our home, we always were fighting with our words. We had guerra. We had war in our home. And since coming to life, our kids are bringing peace every day back into our home. And that's such a blessing. So now we're asking ourselves, shall we dream bigger? Does God, will God give us the faith to dream more broadly about more Spanish lives that could be changed? So what if we were to expand our model? And what if we were over the next several years had the opportunity to give thousands of Spaniards the opportunity to learn about Christ through education? That could be a neat thing. So enter Vision 2020, Christian schools in Spain. Um, we can advance the slide one or two. There we are, 2020. Uh, right now, the, the Christian schools in Spain is our legal entity that has started Life International School. And their goal is to start 20 more schools in the next 20 years, 19 more schools. So we're asking for God, for the faith to believe that. That's one of those big, big challenges to our faith. And how will God do that? I take inspiration from the Spanish flag. The Spanish flag, the coat of arms uh, has, is right in the middle of the flag. And on either side, there's a pillar. Those are called the Pillars of Hercules. They stand on the southern coast of Spain and the north coast of Africa. And there's a Latin phrase on each of the pillars. You can't read it from there, but it says plus ultra, which means further beyond. It was in, put there in the years when Spain was conquering the world, the known world. And they wanted to go beyond Spain's borders, further beyond to see what was out there. So we say plus ultra to the, to the province of Madrid. This province of Madrid is about the size of this Gallatin Valley. All that blue, it's called the province of Madrid. And within just the dark blue part there, kind of in the middle, there are five and a half million people. So let's say you take five times the population of Montana and put them right here in your valley. 
If you did that, you'd probably want to go to Madrid, right? <laughs> you wouldn't want to stick around. It's very densely populated. And the board's vision is to say, well, we want to use the school in Tres Cantos in the yellow in the north. That will be our flagship school. We want to start three more schools by 2025, preschools and kindergartens, then growing them a couple years at a time, just like we've done at Life, and let those schools be feeder schools into the Tres Cantos campus. So do we have the faith to believe that? Plus Ultra, we want to go further beyond Tres Cantos. And then Plus Ultra to Spain itself. We've had delegations of people from every one of these cities that have come to visit our school in the last two to three years. And when they see this model, they say, we didn't know it was possible to have a Christ-centered school in our land. Could you come and start a school in our community, in our city? We will help you. We will work with you. And it's a tremendous thing. And I just say, Lord... I'm just, I've got some loaves and fishes here. That's all I've got. And I'm reminded that God is the one that takes the loaves and the fishes and by faith, he can do amazing things further than I can dream. Plus ultra, we're asking God to bless and, 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 and lead us in this next calling. So these are ambitious dreams, but we have testified that God has opened the doors we spread the word and by faith, we are looking for God for the provision of the resources we need, both the financial resources and the people. Both are needed to see the vision grow. So I, I, I put this out there before you. We would like to see a new campus in Tres Cantos. This is, a, this is a model that was built by, or it's designed by a Finnish company that takes recycled shipping containers and they build them like Legos. And if you want a campus for 200, bloop, 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 they put the Legos together and you've got your building. If you need to add 300 more kids, they bloop, 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 add more Legos. So it's a neat way, it's a neat concept with solar panels on the top because in Spain we get 330 days of sunshine a year. So if you like sun and you want to get a good tan, come to Madrid. Um, have you ever considered a calling though of serving abroad yourself? What would that look like for you or your family to say, Lord, here I am. Would you use me? Could you use me? Sometimes I think we get in a life's path and that's kind of where we think it needs to be. So I want to leave you a fresh challenge to say, Lord, would you, could you use me? We've had people come for a one year uh, gap year right out of high school. And one young lady that came was one of the best missionaries that we've had at 18 years old. And we've had other people that have been 72 years old. And he said, do you have any work to do in Spain? I'm a retired nuclear physicist. And I don't want to just stick around and wait for my grass to mow so that I can mow it again. And I said, come and teach math. We need a teacher in Spain. Um, I would love to just extend that challenge to say, would you prayerfully consider, Lord, could you use me? Would you grow my faith in some way? I would love to think and dream about having some individuals from Bozeman, Montana that come to join the work in Spain. That would thrill my heart tremendously. So I invite you to consider that. I invite you to pray about what God might do and how he could maybe use you. I will close with this brief testimony. Uh, my father was uh, 37 years old and he, he was the vice president of a lumber company, very successful, had just built his dream house, five kids, life was going great, didn't have any reason to leave. And he began to seek the Lord. Lord, is there something more that you want from me? And within a few months, six, seven months, he felt God's call in his life because he was seeking the Lord about that. And he sold his house and he quit his job. And people said, you're crazy. And God took him overseas to Brazil as a missionary. And that's where I grew up. 
And that set in motion in our family's line, this opportunity to follow the footsteps of literally my father by faith. And now I have a son who's, uh, he and his wife are preparing to go overseas as a missionary. It's a neat thing. It's a neat thing to see the blessing of God upon our lives. Lives that are, um, that are finding fulfillment in the calling of God in ways that we would never dream. So I just say thank you. I, my wife and I say thank you to this church for partnering with us in what God has called us to do in Spain. Because in some very real ways, your prayers and your financial support are helping make the work in Spain advance. They're helping Spanish children and families have an exposure to the gospel that they would probably never have because they would never walk into a church off of the street. Thank you very much. In the, in the foyer out here, we have a little table. If you would like any further information or you would like to talk to us about what does even a short term look like in Spain? Could I go for three weeks and help with a project? Absolutely. I'd love to talk with you. So thank you very much. And I pray that the faith um, that God has given to you will be stretched and encouraged as you deepen your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you.